Hello again and welcome to, I would say, another episode of College Football Down Under, but it kind of feels like the first episode of College Football Down Under. It's been a long, long time, but my name is Aaron Kemp and I'm joined this time physically across from each other, Will Murden. How's it going tonight, Will? We are in the room together. It, it has been a long time. It is definitely another episode, but we're back. We're ready to go. We're renewed in our vigor for this, I think. We've, uh, we've had a bit of a stint away, but I'm fired up, ready to go. It's good to see you. Check out your new digs. We've yeah. moved into the new studio here. I mean, digs, let's just calm down on that. It's it's a box and it's got walls and the walls are painted. So Perfect for recording it. Exactly, exactly. Um, we've got a what's well, turned into a bit of a big show tonight and hopefully we can get through everything, but we want to talk about the current state of playing college football we want to talk about the uh, a, a few debate topics that are you know pretty important at the moment, and uh, without going into too much kind of detail, we, as you play around with your sounds there, as I'm playing around with my levels of fraction, I think we could have done this pre-show there, Will, but that's your job as the producer. Um, you know, yeah, we do have a lot to get to, and and there's a few other bits and pieces of news as well. So, firstly. I was thinking before we get into college football news and as football here in Australia has restarted and you know various other sports around the globe have recommenced on the back of the COVID situation, are there any sports that you feel like you've got time to include in your repertoire these days? I feel like for me, AFL has fallen by the by. I had to actually look up some scores because I don't watch football anymore here, which I never thought I'd say as a young guy, but I don't I don't watch that anymore. But there's a new sport that I've kind of found myself leaning towards and I don't know if I've got time for it in my schedule at the moment, but I it is something that I could definitely pursue and I'll get to that in a second, but... What if you had another sport? If you could squeeze another sport in, I've picked one up. I'm not happy about it. <laughs> okay, what Mrs. Is it? isn't happy about it. it. It's it's horse racing. <laughs> I'm a horse racing guy now. It's it's one of those things. Now I've got Saturdays free during this whole COVID thing. It's the only sport that has been running. And yeah, now Saturday morning ritual: wake up, get the form guide out, study that front to back, get me picks in, and then just sit down and watch a full day's racing. But do you actually enjoy it? Like, what do you what do you cheer for? The horse, the the jockey, the trainer, the like colours? All, all of the above, oh, yeah. I mean, God. obviously the horse, but I've, I'm cheering for my bank balance because I'm outlaying here. So it's, it's good, but it's also bad. So, yeah, I've, I've certainly picked up a new sport throughout this. What about okay. What's yours? I'm, you've got me curious now. Well, I, I feel like a natural transition back to like Premier League football would be a logical one. Yep. And I think that if there wasn't a time difference, that would be something that I would get around again. Yeah, you can get around Leeds with me. Um, They're on their way back up to the Prem. We're all about the cottages, mate. Let's get around Fulham and the boys down there by the river. They're battling away. They are battling away. Back in the Premier League this year, I think. So, no, we didn't make it. No, well, I mean, it's, it's still to be played Well, out. yeah, I know. Sorry, yeah, I apologise. But they will... They're, they're in they're playoff spot. They're top two, yeah. They're not top two, but they're oh, in playoff they spot. They were. They're not now. They're in playoff spot. West Brom and Leeds. Oh, God damn it. Okay, anyway. Um, that's tough sledding down there because you need to be third and there's four teams that can make it. So, anyway. Um, so, Premier League would be a natural one that I feel like I'd roll back into. But... Major League Baseball. 
What? I feel like I could, I, I would enjoy a little bit of Major League Baseball. It doesn't take a lot of watching, which is nice. Like you can float in and out of concentration. You can just have it right. It's a bit like cricket really, isn't it? It's it's America's version of cricket. It's pretty slow going, but the tactical side of it, I find really interesting. Uh, the analysis that goes into it is ridiculously extensive. And I know analytics uh, have got their hands all over that sport at the moment. And a lot of the old times are saying it's not for the better, but I think it's actually quite a good sport to watch. And, and I do enjoy the skill and the mastery and the gamesmanship involved, particularly obviously from a pitching and batting perspective, as that is, you know, 90% of the time the rest <laughs> are doing absolutely nothing. Catching. But yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I enjoy it. And then the plays they go and make are pretty athletic, uh, particularly in the infield, and I also love a fat guy that can get paid. Like, because, I love a first baseman uh, that weighs like 130 kilos. And can just hit dingers. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I, like, I, I don't hate baseball. I feel like it would be a sport that I would enjoy. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I like your comparison to cricket because I think I wanted more from it. Like, originally, I've tried to get into it previously. And then when I was like, well, when it's like cricket, you go there, you sink tins, you don't watch every ball. Who does that? But yeah. it's happening and, and you really enjoy it. I could certainly get around it. I, I think I'm probably, like, full up. I've got no more hmm. capacity. I don't know what's going to have to give way for this new GG fascination that I've got. But that's a, that's an interesting one for you. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I don't... Spin-off s- pod. Yes, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot of acronyms in baseball that i'm not really quite sure what they all mean yet but i don't mind it the only thing is the seasons are extensive like there is a lot of games that that i'm not going to care about like oh they're going on a five game road trip to marlin stadium like i I don't care it's a crazy concept here in australia isn't it because we just don't have like midweek games no like a pro sport that you can go on a tuesday night and see yeah just doesn't exist well you're not going to get the attendance we don't have the population to support that kind of stuff. Anyway, this is a college football show, believe it or not. So we will move on. There is a little bit of news in college football. Um, the first one that we haven't got to, although it is somewhat dated at this point, is Justin Ross, the exceptional wide receiver out of Clemson, has gone into and had surgery, I believe, on a neck injuries, had two fused vertebrae together, which effectively has put this season on ice and potentially his whole career in jeopardy at this point as well. So a very talented guy, probably made his name mostly as a freshman, I believe, in the... It must have been a freshman against Alabama in the national championship game where he did work to the tune of three touchdowns, I believe, in that national championship game. So uh, a massive, massive out for Clemson and I'll discuss that more in later in the episode as well yeah I mean this is a super disappointing one for him and all of college football he was a superstar he's a top five player at his position coming into the year and you're right there are some things saying that it's like you know 40% chance he never plays again sort of deal so you never like to see this stuff super disappointed for him and, and just hopefully we can kind of bounce back and and we get a good story out of this yeah for sure and these are the things that don't come into NCAA football when you're playing it you don't get these kind of injuries rock up like just career ending injuries so yeah you know super disappointing for him and, and hopefully he recovers uh there has been a lot of news, obviously, and you know this isn't for us the platform or the medium, or nor are we 
in a position to make comment on everything that is going on in America because A, we're not informed. B, geographically, we actually could not be further away if we tried. And the last thing that people need is another white dude in their middle age making comments about stuff that he doesn't understand. That's not to say that I'm ignoring it or disregarding the conversation. The conversation is really important, but this is not the platform for it. But on the back of everything that has been going on in America, there has been a lot of issues around coaches through comments they have made both semi-currently and also historically that have come back to find them in, in a little bit of hot water. So there's been some issues at Clemson. There's been some issues at Utah as well. And they and then on top of that, you had Mike Norvell at Florida State get himself in a little bit of hot water with um, Marvin Wilson, the starting defensive tackle for the Seminoles, didn't take too kindly to his words that he sent out. So yeah, there has been start. a few issues. Yeah. Not a great start for Norvell down there. When, no. When your star defensive tackle seems to have more power than you do as, as the coach and I think they've handled that quite well in the end I think they had a really positive meeting of that they're all on the same page now but it's yeah it's, it's certainly a rocky one for them him to start uh, and well credit to Marvin Wilson as well like I don't get me wrong it doesn't I don't have a lot of time for Florida State players obviously but for him to stand up and say something that he believes in but then not only that not hide behind the Twitter flurry that inevitably ensued but to actually stand up and have that conversation with his coach and be able to talk it out and come to a resolution it appears like that the dust has settled and they've come to some sort of resolution there which is they'll be better for it exactly and that's what they're saying so well done to marvin wilson i you know i can't speak highly enough of his actions in that space um but yeah we will move on and you know again this won't be the space for for touching on some of those very controversial issues at the moment and like I said, have those conversations with people around you, have the conversations and, you know, embrace them. And probably for once, actually, this does feel a little different though from from other perspectives. I think the only comment that I would make on it is that in the past, it's felt like when, when a, an issue around this kind of race problem has come up, it, it has felt very much like a, well, what, what can we do to... to ease and and appease some of these solution um some of these symptoms sorry uh around you know how, what could, we can put more money towards it we can what are we going to do about these issues around crime and whatever this time it actually feels a bit different it feels like the the depths to which we are acknowledged or that people are acknowledging some issues appear to be far more sincere and and far more valid and honest um, rather than just looking at some of the problems and trying to f- solve them in the same way we've solved every other problem. So, um, yeah, that has been a little bit of a positive, I suppose. It does feel different this time, and, and let's hope that it is. Uh, moving on, Oklahoma State gets banned from postseason play this year. Your thoughts, Will? That's basketball. Basketball. <laughs> I thought that was football, dude. You really got on me about that. Yeah, because I was fucking upset because we're looking good basketball this year. We've got the number one high school recruit coming in who's going to be a one and done. Uh, it's like a top five class this year. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the NCAA comes in and slaps you across the face. Yeah, that's a basketball one, my man. Uh, Football-wise, we're, cheating. we're still cheating. good for the national championship. So don't you worry about them, Cowboys. <laughs> they will be okay. It's it's been a it's been a rough off season so far. So. Well, I mean, we're a bit rusty here. We, yeah. we, you're coming in with the wrong sports. 
Mainly we're, <laughs> we're, a, baseball we're, basketball. we're a baseball and horse racing show. <laughs> we got basketball on the go. At some point, for the new listeners out there, we will touch on college football, yeah. we promise. Um, <laughs> commitment overload at the moment. I did want to talk about the fact that under the circumstances in America, which if you aren't familiar, are under far more scrutiny than what we are here in Australia. It feels like we're pushing to a situation where borders are opening and we're far more relaxed. Bars are open, restaurants are open. Here in South Australia, we haven't had a case in like a, a month now. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's, it's just regular everyday Life. stuff. Life's going on now. Over in the States, not so much the case. They've still got a heavy amount of that sort of stuff going on as they start to crawl out of this. Exactly. And on the back of that, we've seen a lot of high school seniors committing to schools above and beyond the normal rate of commitments that, that would occur yeah so we're looking at numbers in the 700s of commitments Where norm- are we at normally normally down into the 350s maybe up to 400 it's so almost like double. about double the amount of commitments which when school goes back which I'll touch on that in just a minute when school goes back when obviously players haven't been able to visit other schools or speak to coaches in person um, they're very much stuck in their geography graphical location so more likely to get some attention and get some following from the local fan bases but all of a sudden i think when schools are going to open up you are going to be set for a massive string of decommitments nationwide okay so you think that that's the inevitable it's not, they're not all going to stick it's it is, there's going to be that change We're i mean 100 percent back the, to the norm yeah these decommitments occur naturally anyway and you know not being critical towards the younger generation but here i go being critical (laughs) the fickle nature of of their lifestyle and the way they believe and see things and view the world is that you know the the next best thing to walk along is something that they will commit themselves to half-heartedly until something else good comes along and that something else good hasn't been able to come along just yet but it will so you know when that does happen you are setting yourself up for all of a sudden oh alabama rolls into town and texas a&m rolls into town and oregon rolls into town and starts plucking kids from the midwest or from the south and all of a sudden you know oregon who hasn't been out of travel can say here come on an official visit to, to eugene and come and have a great time in the freezing cold but you know then they will show them the time of their life and you know next thing you know they're hooked on becoming a duck it's tough to say no to some of those visit perks that are thrown about for sure which are all obviously as you know according to oklahoma state basketball or football uh well within ncaa regulations so that's good we had one coach <laughs> who was guiding players to an agent and was getting paid for it. And all of a sudden, where are the beds? Don't get me started. You guys have been doing it for years. So, All right, moving on. We do need to briefly touch on what this state of play is in terms of returning back to a level of competition in college football this year. And if that is going to happen, of course, there is a lot of water to go under the bridge in this space at the moment but we do know that uh, some schools have returned as of the 11th i believe or the 10th of june i think with the the returning dates to school where players can return to voluntary workouts but without 
being in the presence of coaches and trainers and things like that. I, I, they cannot, I believe, be in weight. Situ- they cannot be lifting. They've got to do that in their own time elsewhere. It's almost like here's the practice field. It is a park for you to throw and catch in. Um, there's not kind of too many formal activities going on. Having said that, University of Houston, Iowa State University, and who is the other one? There is another school that have all had positive um, tests for COVID-19. There's a whole bunch. I know Oklahoma already. State have had a couple come out. Uh, was it Alabama who said it? Clemson have had a couple of football players as well. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on here. Now, the, the solution to this moving forward is a suggestion that teams get tested regularly that is two days before games start uh, and then up to as much as kind of a few times in between the week as well and then get those tested and this could cost a football team somewhere in the range of if they'd go full noise with it five million dollars something like that could be even a little bit more but this obviously puts some of those lower tier programs in doubt. Your Ohio States, your Michigans, your Alabamas, five mil to them, they'll do it because they know that the benefits financially are there for running those tests and playing a season. For your teams like New Mexico State, like Marshall, like... Why are you going to call on these guys out like that? I don't know. That Well, I'm just saying that, you know, your group of five teams just don't have the money. They're just not running the big programs that these other guys are, they're not going to be able to test like that. Therefore, are they going to be out of play? I don't know because I dare say the NCAA will put in some sort of testing requirements if your players and staff are in the facility. So that is something uh, kind of a watch this space whilst lots of other parts of the world seem to be dying down in terms of the COVID cases. America is certainly not in that boat. And they, you know, I think Brazil's gone past them, maybe. Brazil's <laughs> been going off. Yeah, they're battling away. So it's going to be an interesting one. But again, this thing changes. We could have different news. By the end of the month, America may be on the decline. So we just don't know at this stage. I'm hoping. I'm hoping they've reached that herd immunity. Yeah, I mean, obviously we are all hopeful for a college football season. But, uh, you know, player safety and health is 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 priority number one as it should be i desperately want the canes back this year yeah, anyway we're both looking at promising seasons we, yeah we don't want I've, to heard, I've heard that before we'll just <laughs> i'm just going to curb the enthusiasm fractionally uh okay let us move into that actually before we get into our great debate i do need to mention that if you have made it this far well done but please can you get onto twitter and on instagram at cfb down under make sure you do leave us a uh, review, give us a, you know, give us those five stars. That's what we're after. Tell some friends, tell some people, message someone, talk to them, say, hey, listen, there's these two flogs in in Australia that think they know some stuff about some college football, but they're worth a listen. So um, make sure you do let us know or hit us up, give us a message, and, and we'll be able to answer any questions or, or have a bit of a chat to you about college football as well. 
Sorry about that little inter- like intermediary pause there. Yeah, Just nice plug. As we plug ourselves. We, All right, as let's, we warm up for this big debate here. Yes, let's get into the debate. Now, this is going to have to be pretty short, sharp, and shiny. We're going to be on like a 60-second clock here per topic, I think, because it could get pretty fiery. It's a good idea. I think, we, I think we say that because we're going to go over. But I We think are going to go over, but we need to be short, sharp, and shiny. So um, we've got, what, what are we down to? Eight debate topics. One of them is kind of like a, a, you know, talk to the animals kind of thing where we'll actually chat that one out. Uh, a few of them we have researched in depth. A few of them we haven't researched at all. So we will see how we go. But the first... You've done some research? Topic, well, one of us has to, mate. Uh, the first topic on the cards is... Now, and these have all come from Will as well. I think some of them are absolute horseshit. So you'll be able to tell. I got my pick of who I think is the better one. So you'll be able to obviously see my winning side but who is the better head coach Jimbo Fisher or Ed Orgeron I will let you start because your argument's going to be embarrassingly short and minuscule compared to my witty quiffs and comments about how good of a coach Jimbo Fisher is okay I will kick things off with this and I'm going to say that Ed Orgeron is the better head coach because of what we've seen him produce at the best level of college football so i think it goes without saying that the sec is the best conference in college football and on from that the sec west is the best division in college football and last year not only did we see lsu have a historic season we saw them have maybe the best college football season of all time in which he earned a national championship his first and has taken his record at LSU to 40 and 9. Those are elite numbers in the hardest conference in college football. From where he started and from what he's grown and what he's into now, he has clearly shown that he is the better head coach. He won the coach of the year award uh, last year. He won the national championship. I mean, he is a incredibly hot name in college football, and I think that his level of play at the highest level of football shows that he has what it takes. I could not disagree more with such ridiculous sentiments. The hottest property in college football coaching last year at LSU and the nationwide was Joe Brady. It had absolutely nothing to do with Ed Orgeron. It's interesting that you decide to completely ignore the previous stints at Old Miss and USC. Ed Orgeron's record over his entire head coaching career sits at 56 and 36, which is embarrassing. Embarrassing compared to Jimbo Fisher's 100 wins and 32 losses all time. Yeah, both have got a national championship. Well done, Ed Orgeron. You coach at a school that recruits itself. You got the hottest offensive coordinator. You struck lightning when you landed Joe Burrow and turned him in and had Joe Brady turn him into one of the greatest quarterback seasons of all time. Yeah, he's done well in three full seasons at LSU, but like I said, it recruits itself. That's nothing. Absolutely nothing compared to a situation at Florida State where Jimbo Fisher's eight seasons, he failed to win nine games or more in only one of those. 
his very last. From 2012 to 2016, he lost nine games. He had 10 win seasons. He had 12 win seasons. He had 14 win seasons. The guy was unstoppable. FSU was relevant every single year that he was there. You cannot say the same about Ed Orgeron. And the fact that he has got, uh, you know, four more losses in the spot and still has played uh, however many games less that is, 32 and 10 maybe, 42 I believe less games over the space of his career and he's got more losses, there is no doubt, no doubt that Jimbo Fish is the better coach. Okay, rebuttal from my end, uh, you're talking ACC wins. They mean fuck all. Let's look in the SEC West where we have an even playing field. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Can I just inter- interject there? I know this is goes against the rules, but Jimbo Fisher won, won against his national championship against Auburn from the vaunted F- A- SEC, from the vaunted SEC West. It's good to win one game. We oh. can all win one game. <laughs> when, you, when you get a patty cake schedule and no one's hurt, Well, just like fine. Clemson just won one game. And they won that same game again. Well, they didn't. They didn't this year. Not, <laughs> not against Ed. So, in, on this level playing field where we have the SEC West, because that's where we can see, I will concede that Jimbo Fisher is a better coach if he wins the next twenty-three games straight. If he does that, then he will get the same SEC West record that Ed Orgeron has. Then he will get to forty and nine in the SEC West. Without that. I've got an apple for Apple's argument here, and he's not stacking up. 17 and 9 is disgusting. So, LSU is a totally different ball game to Texas A&M. Outside of the contract money, we know Ed Orgeron. Yeah, congratulations. You've got a weird voice and you coach the O-line. It is not Ed Orgeron. Can he accumulate a staff? Absolutely. Is he actually the better coach? I don't think so. He needs subtitles in his pre-game addresses and he just the, the losses are there. You cannot doubt in any way, shape or form uh, that, that Jimbo Fish is the better coach. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll, we'll leave this one up and, and please do, like our listeners are going to need to because I don't think either of us are going to, come come to terms with who's won on any of these so hit us up twitter instagram whatever it is let us know which side if if you feel strongly about one or the other because i'm sure we would love to hear from you guys okay let's move on to debate docket number two we're talking 2009 bama versus 2019 lsu who wins now after i'll probably go first on this one after slamming uh Ed Orgeron and his coaching ability. I'm now going to address and say that he had an incredibly talented team as I take the 2019 Bayou Bengals as being the better team in this situation. Now, admittedly, the game of college football has moved on, but it's moved on so far past the 2009 Alabama Crimson Tide that ran their pro-style offense for two and a half yards or four yards a carry with Trent Richardson and Barrett Jones playing every position on the O-line, that system doesn't hold up anymore. It just does not. You are not going to score enough points to 
play with this historically dominant offense with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire who put up absolutely crazy numbers. We're talking, you know, Jamar Chase, 84 receptions. You're talking Justin Jefferson, 111. Terrence Marshall, 46. You had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire go nearly 1,500 yards on the ground and would have been far more than that all-purpose as well. So, you know, and, and the obviously the rebuttal to you and the argument that you're going to make is, well, Alabama's defense was historically good. Yeah, great, but LSU's defense was good as well. Let's not just throw that out the window when we consider, well, how easy is it going to be for an 2009 Greg McElroy to score against this defense? Yeah, maybe his fiance and wife was really hot. Maybe that's a thing. That's not going to help you complete a pass uh, on Christian Fulton. It's not going to help you, you know, dominate uh, the line of scrimmage like you think you think you're going to against this uh, LSU front. So, to me, you know, you're not stopping Clavion Clavon Chason uh, at Alabama this time around. So. To me, LSU, without a shadow of doubt, too many points. Your inability to score at Alabama is not is going to just hold you back so, so far. I'm sorry. Sorry, Crimson Tide. So this Crimson Tide that you don't think can, can score had an NFL caliber quarterback. Say what you will about <laughs> Craig McElroy. He was drafted as an NFL level quarterback who started games at the the next level, is this what we're doing here? Well, I'm I'm, I'm not. You're you're speaking is, is that, as that, if he's a merit? slouch. You're speaking as if as if he's a slouch. Nathan Peterman also started NFL games. Let's just be aware of that for a hot minute. But Greg McElroy was a respectable backup in the league. Nothing going to say respectable backup starting for Alabama, and that would have been a correct summation. Well done. He was a very, very good quarterback, and and you are oh. o- underrating his ability there. The pieces that he had around him in Trent Richardson and Eddie Lacy were good NFL players. Mark Ingram. Hang on, Trent Richardson. I mean, <laughs> he was a superstar college player. <laughs> yeah, drafted what pick four overall? Yeah. I drafted him early in my fantasy league. I'll bet you uh, a whole bunch did. I mean, you've got Richardson, Lacey, and Ingram. Those are three superstar college football running backs. You've got, on the defensive side of the ball, Marcel Darius, Donta Hightower, Rolando McLean, Mark Barron, all drafted in the first round. Yeah, I mean, Mark Barron also uh, dumpster fire. Orlando McLean ended up in got, Oakland, and then we, things got weird there as well. I think when Barron left Tampa, he actually got good. Yeah, he played the linebacker and got, got yeah, real yeah. good. Uh, don't get me wrong, but he was better. The first round talent across this team just shines out. Like, they had something like six first round players across this team. The LSU just didn't have. Yes, they had a really good team. I agree with you 100%, but they didn't have that level of top-end talent coming out. And So the six first-round draft picks in the draft just gone or whatever LSU put up, not good. Was it six uh, in the first five, round? Five or six, yeah. I'm not sure it was the first round. Christian Fulton, Clavon Chason, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Joe Burrow, straight off the top of my head. Um, Justin Jefferson, where did he go? He didn't go first round, did he? 
think he might have, yeah. To, and uh, Patrick Queen at linebacker, he went late first round, didn't he? I think he fell into the second. Oh, sorry. I apologize. But either way, LSU had a mountain of dudes drafted. And I still can't get back... Christian Fulton was like the end of the second round, too. He was... oh, that's a bad argument, then. Yeah. Okay. But I still can't get past the fact that your first argument was that Greg McElroy was an okay... Was a, no, was a good quarterback. He was not a good quarterback. Alabama quarterbacks at the time ran an archaic, slow, ball-control ball offense... They did what they needed to do where to you take the Your job is to get the ball from the center to the running back. That doesn't roll anymore at this stage in an offense where you're going to need to score 40 points to keep up with LSU. That Alabama offense isn't doing that. Yeah, they, they didn't come up against that Bama D that you've seen. This this team was unreal, and there's a reason I plucked the 2009 one because this was the elite of the elite on that defensive side. So was this the the year that they beat the LSU beat them in like a nine to six game? Was that that one uh, earlier in the year, and then it was the rematch in the national championship so, game? Was uh, that the one? Bama, yeah. Correct. Yeah, okay. So that high-powered Greg McElroy offense scored six points in a game. Uh, no, they, they won that one. They scored the nine. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I Get it right. They were I'm... banging through those field goals. <laughs> I think they missed like two that game too. So they left like 15. <laughs> one thing. All right, let's not hang around here. Let's move on. Uh, docket number three, Clemson versus the best of the ACC. I think you could do a better job of like announcing these debate topics. I know you're not happy that I've come up with them, but I just feel like the intro forum's a bit flat at the minute. Okay, so we have got the national championship winning Clemson Tigers. Here we go. Obviously not the same team, but led by one of the best up-and-coming rising quarterbacks in the last 10 years. Since luck has come out himself, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, they are going to be taking on the might ooh, of... A Power Five conference in ooh. Ooh, in the rest of the ACC. Uh, so, so the be- so Clemson versus the best of the ACC. Correct. Who is going to win that game? My first question before we start is who's coaching the best of the ACC team? It's a tough one. There's no real clear. Candidate. Does it have to be an ACC coach? I mean, yeah, absolutely it does. You can't just pluck someone from somewhere else. Uh, for me, it's Mac Brown. <sighs> yeah, sure, whatever. Okay, <laughs> sweet dancing. All right, you go first. Who you got? Okay, I have Clemson. Okay. And Clemson are winning this game because they are better than everyone else in the ACC. And it's not close. I mean, the ACC is so disappointingly poor. And it has been, and I'm hoping that they can turn it around. I'm hoping that you can prove to keep me wrong here. But Clemson are a different breed. I mean, they are a special bunch. If we go back to 2015, the dominance that they have shown across this whole conference has led them to an Orange Bowl, a National Championship game, a Fiesta Bowl, a National Championship game, a Sugar Bowl, a down year they went to the Cotton Bowl and beat the pants off of Notre Dame. National Championship game, a Fiesta Bowl, and a National Championship game. They're all fucking massive matchups, and that's a long run of elite play. And they have the best quarterback in college football coming back this year to lead them. I would back this team in 
90% of the time that they play against the top of, of, of anyone. I mean, last year, yeah, they got done by a really, really, really good LSU team. I think there's a few elite teams who are going to match it with them this year, but that's, it's a small handful of teams. And the ACC has not shown enough that they can produce enough. I mean, if you take the best quarterback in, in the conference, Trevor Lawrence, best running back in the conference, Travis Etienne. The best wide receiver was Justin Ross. Oh, I don't know. Maybe the, good the, point. Good maybe point the, you're making there. <laughs> the door swings ajar. Who knows? <laughs> but if I go down this roster and I pluck out the best player at each position, I'm backing Clemson to have more than they don't. Uh, I am 100% disagreeing with that. And I'm about to blow your <laughs> pathetic weak, limp-wristed argument out the window. And whilst you said uh, Clemson are the best team in the ACC or are the best of all college football, you forgot what... You got that term wrong. It's were. This We need to talk in past tense. Yeah, you rattled off a whole lot of victories. Cool. Princeton were really good at football at one stage as well. So were Army and Navy. Guess what? Times change. So whilst you can say that, yeah, I'll, I'll give you Trevor Lawrence. I'll give you Travis Etienne. From there, it thins horribly. Justin Ross was the best wide receiver in the conference. He's not anymore. He's not playing. So that leaves them with Amari Rogers, a little scat back wide slot wide receiver. Uh, behind him, they've got an unproven Frank Ladson and Joseph Ngata, who combined for 22 receptions last year between the two of them. They're their two primary outside weapons. 22 receptions. And this is from Dabo Swinney, who, as a coach, his, one of his philosophies is blooding young guys early, giving them playing action, rotating guys through. And the best they can come up with is 22 receptions from the best quarterback in the country. Sorry, that's not going to cut it. I'm taking Tutu Atwell, I'm taking Sage Surratt, and I'm taking Tamarian Terry over that lineup any day of the week. Tight end, don't even bother. Brevin Jordan is a one to two round draft pick, so they've got them covered by a stretch. O-line belongs to Boston College. Ben Petrula, Tyler Vrabel, Zion Johnson, all these guys would start over the Clemson O-line. Christian Darasaur is the gem in what's a pretty weak offensive line class, admittedly, in the AACC. But the boy from Virginia Tech is a really, really good one. So I'm taking the field there. Along the defensive line, this isn't your Cleveland Farrell-led uh, front anymore all those boys that were taken in the first round are gone they don't exist so let's have a look at greg Rousseau and quincy roach who those two boys playing in the same team actually quincy roach had the second best pass rate pass rushing score behind chase young last year the only other guy that came relatively close Greg Rousseau, he was second in the nation in sacks with 12 and a half last year those two boys are playing on the same defensive front you're not going to be able to hold up with your milk toast offensive line that Clemson are going to roll out there this year. Throw in Marvin Wilson on the inside. Who are you double teaming? Clemson have got no chance against that. Linebacker, ooh. <laughs> not good for anyone. Chaz Surratt's probably the best linebacker, certainly the best middle guy in the conference, and he's a former quarterback. That's how well they're going. Um, but, and then on the back end, Asante Samuel, Caleb Fairley, 
you know, they're going to be able to lock down any wide receiver from Clemson. So sell out against the run. Make Trevor Lawrence pass to anybody who can get open, which won't be many. And then watch those DNs feast. Clemson, just to wrap this whole thing up, I think Clemson are going to take a step back this year. I think over the last two years, they've had some fantastic teams, some really good players. They're still well coached. They still run a really good system. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think they've got the athletes this year and the ACC would make a mockery of them at their best. And I think you're falling into the old, oh, the production's gone and so are they. The, the, the old Bama trap. They've been doing it. I gave you the response to this already. Since 2015, every fucking year, dudes go, really good players go, and they get replaced with really good players. It, it's what they've got brewing, and, and it's great. And that's part of what's going to be fun this year. We're going to get to see these little-known players that we talk about now. Like It's going to be embarrassing for us, mainly you, when we come <laughs> back and, and I grab some of these sound bites. And you start talking about, you know, oh, fucking, they've got no DBs. You know, Mario Goodrich comes out, gets drafted in the first round and is a stud DB. Like, they're receivers. Someone's going to blow up. Someone is going to make you look silly there. You just know it's going to happen. We've seen it time and time again, and I expect it again. The ACC is garbage, but Clemson are really, really good. (laughs) Oh, God. All right, we need to move on. Just take another L there, mate, and uh, let's move on. So that is 3-0 to Kemp. Well done. Uh, number four, I'll let you introduce this, this this one because I've really got no interest in it, if if I'm honest. I know I was about to say I don't have a dog in this fight, but I actually do have a dog in this fight. Uh, I don't know much about him, uh, but, you know, away you go. Okay, so this one here, I was putting together a hypothetical fight of strength coaches. And I wanted two of the more recognizable strength coaches out there at programs. We have in one corner, Alex Spanos of Northwestern, the medium wearing jack dude who in all conditions up there at Northwestern, where it gets bloody cold, is found in his tight polo shirt versus the moustached up maniac out at Oregon, Aaron Feld. Okay, so if you're an Australian uh, college football fan, you probably would be lucky, you know, and we're hopefully building your knowledge, but you're going to be able to name maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 players, maybe a handful of coaches, maybe one or two offensive or defensive coordinators. No one gives a shit about the fucking strength coaches. Now they've got two strength coaches. So you are going to have to Google both of these dudes. It's part of what I want. Because these dudes are jacked. They are jacked. And whilst I'm... My argument really solely... I'm going for Aaron Feld here, mainly because we share a first name. Secondly, his facial hair is immaculate. But most of my argument is really centered around how much of a shit topic this is. And I blame the producer. I I partly blame myself as well. I've allowed this to occur and I really should have, um, you know, stamped my foot a little bit, a little bit harder. But being, you know, a teacher where we just, you know, are used to being squashed and, you know, we don't get the remuneration that we deserve. We do not receive the compassion condolences that we dish out to your children because you can't do it 
And that's the same thing for you, Will. When your child or children go off to school and you've neglected them as a father, we're the ones that have to pick up the pieces. We're the ones that have to toilet train them. <laughs> we're the ones that have to teach them how to be decent human beings. Don't you teach high school? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It is the parents' fault. And, you know, if we're lucky enough that they do come to school with, uh, you know, effective hygiene behaviors, they also bring with them a drug addiction. So what's it going to be, Will? What's it going to be? At no point in your answer did you come close to resembling an argument for what you needed to put forward. You are awarded no points and may God have mercy on your soul. I mean, come on. I'm trying to throw a bit of light in this. I think people who enjoy college football would need to appreciate the amount of time that goes into crafting these student athletes into the absolute animals that they come out of. I mean, these guys are next level athletes and these coaches are paid like upwards of 500 grand a year as strength and conditioning coaches to have that singular role of changing young boys' bodies and turning them into (laughs) huge (laughs) men. And this is not a Penn State commentary. This has... This has gone sideways. <laughs> Quickly. <laughs> but my argument is that Alex Spanos has clearly shown... He's obviously touched more boys than... You know, he's had a massive impact on boys is what I mean. I don't mean physically touched. I mean, well, I mean, he may have as well, but, you know, he touched the hearts Reel and souls. Of- Reel it back in. <laughs> Alex Spanos has shown that he has no regard for his own physical well-being... Just purely in the fact that he goes... Isn't he a strength and conditioning coach? Don't you want him to have consideration for his health and well-being? He's out there in negative 10 degree conditions. It's a totally different concept. He's a fucking batshit crazy. (laughs) Exactly right. And you know who I'm backing in a fight? The dude who's batshit crazy. He doesn't care. He's the sort of guy who rips his own ear off and throws it at you (laughs) just to kind of throw you off guard. I'll back him in over some punzi bloke with a moustache, some hipster. We all know hipsters can't fight. He's getting his face smashed in. Spanos is dominating this one. Dude, he can throw a mason jar so hard. The shards would get stuck (laughs) in his feet. Exactly. Yeah, that's a real Uh, I'm taking Aaron Feld. He just lives and breathes cold weather. He's from Oregon. Yeah, he's got a weird haircut. Probably wears a jumper, pussy. Let's move on. This, is, this isn't worth it. Okay. Who has the better Death Valley? Obviously, for those who don't know, Death Valley is the name of the, I guess, stadiums shared by both Clemson and Louisiana State. Uh, I feel like I'm jumping all over the place here. So after originally abusing LSU or, or being on the negative side of LSU. I then went positive LSU and then I went negative Clemson. I'm about to go positive Clemson here. So 229-70 all time at home. And most importantly, they have lost only three games in the last nine years at home. There was a bit of a surprise loss to Pitt, one to Florida State um, a few years ago. And then they did lose one to South Carolina 
in that in-state rivalry match. But three games lost in the last nine years. If you go there, you go there and you lose. And you lose big as well. They are often sitting their starters at half time. In fact, if you're in the last few years, if you've been a season ticket holder for the Clemson Tigers and you're watching those games, you're not seeing a whole lot of Trevor Lawrence. You're not seeing a whole lot of Deshaun Watson. You're not seeing a whole lot of uh, Travis Etienne or any of their plethora of wide receivers they've churned out because they're just not making it through half time. Uh, you go there, you lose, and you lose to a team that is laughing and happy about it at the same time, which is a massive contradiction in terms, but it's also frustrating and annoying and painful to watch uh, when you see on the schedule a trip to Clemson, which you just chalk up immediately as a loss. Yeah, okay. I mean, this one, for me, comes straight down to perception. You've got... The, See, I've gone reality. I mean, that, I guess that's the difference between us. The Clemson Death Valley? Oh, good show, young chaps. You're doing really well out there. And the raucous Clemson fans? Oh, go get them. And then you've got the LSU fans who are fucking batshit. Like, this is snakes in the stadiums, Bayou, Bengal, louder than anything. The most intimidating atmosphere in all of college football, Death Valley. I mean, one is real. The other is a really good team. Less to do with the the stadium that they play with and the fact that that's Death Valley. Everyone who is a true college football fan knows that Death Valley is owned by LSU now. Yes, Clemson had the name first, but everyone knows that LSU owns that. And we're going to get to see it play out in 2025 and 2026. Uh, I yeah, it's interesting that you said that you know it's all about perception at Death Valley because when we visited Death Valley, that is the LSU version of. I remember a half-empty stadium as Alex Collins, I believe it was Arkansas. Uh, that place was full. Was it Ole Miss? Yeah, well, not by half time of sorry, halfway through the fourth quarter because LSU put in a piss poor performance. And those fans were out of there in a heartbeat. They kept them quiet. They kept them irrelevant. And what do we remember? We were in a corporate box. I was pretty blind, <laughs> dude. I don't know. <laughs> You're doing better than me because I don't remember nothing. Yeah, Leonard Fournette was playing in that one. But anyway, this is one that I am uh, certainly very interested in. Actually, before we get to that, we're going to jump across to the second last question. or the, Sorry, the last question, really. And that is, who is the best quarterback in the SEC? Um, do you want to take your argument first? Obviously, the, the SEC has lost a lot of quarterbacks this year. Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa, um, come to mind straight up as being two of the premier quarterbacks in all college football. But who is your number one guy in the Southeastern Conference for season 2020? I want to lead this off by saying quarterbacks in the SEC are pretty trash. Yeah. Looking at this list, like it, it took me a while to come up with and land with someone. Uh, there's a few unknowns, so it's a bit harsh to get stuck in any of them. But Jarrett Quarantano, uh, one at Tennessee, not going with him. He had his shot last year to really take a step forward. Didn't see it. Really regressed yeah. off him. Yeah. Uh, John Reese Plumley is exciting. I mean, he can run. He's going to have some fun in that old Miss offense, but as a true quarterback, uh, I'm, I don't think it's there. Felipe Franks, 
big don't, body. Don't do it. Dude, he was in the SEC and he sucked. He got benched <laughs> in the SEC. He did. He did. Bo Nix was fun as a freshman. He just seems limited. He, 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 yeah, I don't know why either, but yes, I agree. I, I think it's like arm talent. And, um, yeah. And like he won a bunch of games there early on. Mac Jones is like the epitome of... Like, He's like Greg McElroy, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Good quarterback, <laughs> but not exceptional. Uh, but for me, the one that stands out, and this is kind of projecting forward a little bit. Just like he's been projected forward multiple years, but yeah. Is Callan Mond. Oh, I am shocked by this revelation you're having. <laughs> the Texas A&M quarterback. So he Coached is, by Jimbo Fisher, the better co- better coach out of uh, him and Ed Orgeron. Despite having a subpar coach. <laughs> people are going to love just listening to this. Oh, God, this is pathetic. Keep going. <laughs> Kellen Mond is the most uh, accomplished returning quarterback. So he's had 26 starts. Uh, at the SEC level, he's had nearly 7,000 uh, total yards of offense, 60 total touchdowns, including 44 through the air. And that is all whilst being somewhat underwhelming. Like there, there's certainly room for growth there. And I think he's in a perfect position now with a, a veteran group around him to take that next step. Do I fully believe it's going to happen? <laughs> No, but I am thinking that he has the best chance of this motley bunch to really develop into a true star at the quarterback position. He has the tools. He's shown the skill. He was a highly recruited player. It's all there. It hasn't come together, but I could certainly see it happening for him this year at Texas A&M. Okay, I don't. I think he is another one that's had a shot. He's played some good games against Clemson. He Played a couple of good games. Against Oklahoma State. Ooh, sucked in. Um, I'm picking a different... I'm, I'm going to pick the guy who um, supplanted Felipe Franks at Florida. And I'm taking Kyle Trask. So this is a guy... He started last year as a backup. But he's 6'5", 240. So he's got the pro size. You're after. He's a good mover. He's good in the pocket. He can operate outside the pocket as well. Completed 66% of his passes. Far better than Cam Newton at the NFL level and you know performed well in big games he's accurate in the intermediate game and he pushes the ball downfield relatively well and he also reads the game far better than Felipe Franks Dan Mullen won't be restricted to just going oh here's a half field read if this guy's not open throw to the other guy um on top of that, you have got a wide receiver crew returning some serious talent. You've got Kadarius Tony, you've got Trevon Grimes, you've got Jacob Copeland, you've got Kyle Pitts at tight end as well. So you've got a wide receiver crew that can do some damage. On top of that, the last point is because we're looking for the quarterback that's going to perform the best. His schedule is not as intimidating as perhaps others might be. LSU, they've got at home, and Georgia are both that are at home as well. Yeah, they've got to travel to what should be an improved Tennessee outfit, but with Jarrett Guarantano, the aforementioned Jarrett Guarantano running that offense there, um, they should be okay. So I think it is the Florida quarterback that will play himself into a position where he gets drafted in the top seven rounds. Well, this is this is good. This is one that we actually get to see play out, and we're going to see a result between the two of us. Okay, the last one we will get to. There wasn't a lot of fire in that argument from either of us, but who is a blue blood? 
So who are the Blue Bloods in college football currently? And how many exist? And how many exist? This is a tough question because depending on who you ask, it is lists are smaller or you know longer potentially. I am going to say 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. I am saying 13 with room to move down or up. I think there's some that come in as surefire, uh, surefire blue bloods, and I think we can easily rattle them off now. Okay, I'm go- I'm going to say eight. I'm obviously much more stringent with my handing out of the blue blood stamp. So you're going to have to convince me on the ones that I don't have. I'm assuming the eight that I have are in your list. Otherwise, we've got some serious fucking issues. Yeah. But I've got Michigan. Yep. I've got Alabama. I have yep. Ohio State, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Nebraska, USC, and Texas. Those are my eight. Convince me on why I should have another five. So let me get... Sorry, you said Notre Dame, USC, Alabama... Mm-hmm. Ohio State, Michigan, mm-hmm. Texas, Oklahoma, Nebraska. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. Okay. I guess it depends on your definition of blue blood. However, I am assuming that you are looking at wins all time plays into a big part of why you have selected Nebraska. Uh, yes, with with more weight towards the the true college football as we know it now I suppose so like excluding the early Ivy League days all of yeah. the, the military academy dominance that sort of stuff yeah okay so I hear around Nebraska and, and their kind of you know they're seven wins all time that's fantastic they've been irrelevant recently because if you're including Nebraska you're probably including Tennessee then Tennessee a tenth all time in wins. Why wouldn't you, and they're not that far behind either. Why would you not have them in there as a blue blood program? How many national championships have Tennessee won? One, not many. I think that plays into it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I hear LSU. I mean, I, 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 okay. I agree with you. Notre Dame, USC, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan. Can't argue with that. Michigan have been down though recently. Texas, Oklahoma. Uh, there are a few, I think, that that it comes into more than just who are the who are the lifebloods. Who are the when you think of college football, who are the ones that really have got something to say about it? Who's if if you have a meeting of all the the top schools to make decisions on the sport who is there based on their tradition based on their winning culture based on their fan bases you know who is there and i think naturally you gravitate towards the sec because it you know they talk about the south being the home of football and home of college football and all that so there's an argument to be made for lsu i believe yeah they've won some national championships um they certainly have got the fan base uh committed They've been around for a long, long time uh, and have been a key player in a lot of national championship games. So while I've brought up a lot of different topics and I've jumped all over the place here, uh, I believe you cannot have a conversation about the Blue Bloods of college football without including LSU. Uh, I think the other ones I 100% agree with you on. There are some other names that could get thrown in the mix as well. Penn State. Uh, 
Penn State would be uh, a logical one. Florida for State. Me. Florida State. You could even have a chat about Georgia and Auburn, maybe, although they appear to be second rung, and Florida would also fall into that. Now, that's not saying they haven't been big players. They have been. Uh, but when you look at the history and the relevance of Auburn, they weren't there in the early days. Uh, they've only been more relevant recently. Uh, and same could be said about about other schools as well. But yeah, I, I I tend to agree. I would add LSU into that mix as well. Yeah, a list with only one SEC team, just with the state that college football's in now, seems seems a bit off. So I'm willing to take that on board. Look at that, some compromise. Finally. Hey, hey. But having said that, there's a lot of other good teams in there. Old Miss, I think, like the 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 passion in Mississippi needs to be recognised. That doesn't mean you necessarily get a blue blood team, but Mississippi football is serious stuff. Yeah. Um, so and I, then like programs like Oregon feel like you know they're coming in like new money sort of deal. Like, yeah, they're flashy now. They they've got some cool, Clemson. They're a big deal. Clemson. They've been winning so much lately. Yeah, they I, had I, some I, history. I don't know what it takes. Like in twenty years' time, if Clemson does what they have been doing and are chipping away at 10 win years and a, a down year here or there, are they then considered a blue blood after 25, 30 years of, of regular um, effort and consideration? All right, well, that brings us to the end pretty much of our debate so. show. Um, we've covered a lot of ground uh, and hopefully we get to make this more of a consistent thing. I, I think would. so. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're certainly going to start to get towards it now as, as things start to heat up in the college world and they start to get back training. I think we'll start to get into our uh, off-season schedule, our pre-season schedule. We'll, we'll give our conference uh, recaps. So we can't be too far away from starting that up. You say that, but it's fucking cold here and it sort of felt it sort of feels like when it comes around for us every year it's that the weather's on the turn and it does not feel like that at the moment. It no. is beyond entering the depths of it oh it is the deep dark at the moment anyway that does bring us to the end of another show and again as i mentioned earlier please do hit us up on twitter and on instagram at cfb down under make sure you do listen along tell a friend leave a review um let's get this thing humming for hopefully hopefully a season 2020 even if there isn't one we will be here with you hypothetically we might even play the entire year on ncaa football absolutely absolutely that's gonna happen (laughs) and we're gonna sit up at 2 a.m and watch those games exactly all right well on behalf of myself and the guy across from me from me for once which is really really nice will mjordan my name's aaron kemp and we will see you next time (laughs) 